Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, y'all, welcome back. Uh, we got a nice LLP episode here today. Happy Friday. Hope everybody's had a wonderful week. Happy Friday. And uh, man, look, this one is a doozy. Uh, we're going to be talking about armed teachers. Yes. The concept of a teacher in a school having access to a firearm to protect the students from any threats that might befall uh, our children. Uh, it's a very sensitive topic for some. Uh, some don't like to talk about it. Some strongly agree and or disagree in many cases. So we are going to dive into it and uh, you know try to get in and understand this concept and understand maybe where people's thoughts and feelings are coming from on this a little bit Absolutely. and maybe interject a little thought in there. A lot of thought and a lot of common sense. Before we jump in today's episode, we're going to talk about our show sponsor, ExpressVPN. Uh, I know that if you're like me or like Eric, you take your online search history um, very seriously. You want to make sure that it's kept private and is not being sold uh, to the highest bidder to force feed you ads. So I know most of you are probably thinking, why don't you just use um, incognito mode or some type of uh, tool on your search engine? Those don't hide uh, the data that goes to your ISP. ExpressVPN does. It's 100% encrypted end-to-end, so your data stays private, and you don't have to worry about prying eyes looking into what you're looking at. It's an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure service, so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. 100% of your data is encrypted with the most powerful encryption available. Uh, most of the time, when I'm using it, I don't even notice it's on. It, I open my web browser, it automatically connects, and you're good to go. They also have an app on the phone, so you click the ExpressVPN button on your phone, your browser opens up, and you're protected. Anything you're looking for on your phone is protected. You're good to go. It's available on all your devices, including your smart TV. So if you have a smart TV and you're worried about, you know, searching stuff on your smart TV, it's protected as well. Guys, protect your online activity today with a VPN that's rated number one by CNET and Wired. Get three months free when you sign up. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash LLP. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash LLP ExpressVPN.com slash LLP. So the the thought process and the mentality of armed teachers, I mean, it's something that, you know, if you're into the Second Amendment and you're and you're comfortable around guns, isn't really that much of an issue because you understand and we understand that they just don't go off by themselves. It's a purpose-driven tool. Um, but those that aren't in the know and those that aren't familiar with it get really, really freaked out. Um, and, you know, a little bit of education goes a long way. And I know we, we've discussed this and uh, Florida in particular has, has done a great job of that having the, the public school ecosystem really, really involved in that. So they've had, uh, recently they've offered, uh, combat veterans, um, jobs as being armed security in schools. And they interviewed the principal of the school and he specifically said combat veterans. And, you know, while I don't agree a hundred percent with the mentality of that, um, I don't think you have to have been in combat to grasp the responsibility and the nature of what your job is. He specifically was looking for soldiers that have been in battle and know what it feels like and have that experience. So I can I can see it kind of going both ways. But in my opinion, um, you know, if as long as you're responsible and you're able to do the job that's aforementioned, um, you shouldn't have a problem securing that. And I think it's wonderful that he's offering veterans and combat veterans jobs because in this day and age that separation from the military it's very difficult especially if you're in combat arms to find work other than law enforcement and law enforcement isn't for everybody not a lot of people want to go into it so um kudos to him for reaching out and and filling that role with you know combat veterans that's a, a really great point and it's funny that you mentioned that because you know i know years ago all right, and and let's just say probably 
15, 20 years ago, you know, after Columbine, well after that. But it seems like there was this sort of resurgence for uh, people having this need where they're like, hey, you know, we need to get some form of armed person in our schools to protect our kids and all. Uh, unfortunately, violent acts are carried out by people. Right. And we, we can't escape evil. We can combat evil. We can fight evil. Right. And the way you fight evil is with the proper tools. And firearms are the tools that we use to fight evil, that we use to put ourselves on the same playing field with the people that would do ourselves harm. And in this case, our children harm. Uh, you brought up a really good point earlier when you were talking about, well, we trust a guard in a bank with a gun to protect our money. And I think we can all agree our children are more important to us than money. Our children are more important to us than anything in life, period. They are our lives. That's right. So something as important as our children, it would seem that we would put much more stock in making sure that they're protected no matter where they are. You're handing your child off uh, to some person. Now, obviously, you should know your teachers. You should have at least a bit of a relationship you, you don't have to know them by a first name basis, but you at least need to understand who they are, know what they're about. You know, you want to know the person that your kid is with every day. Uh, I'm not going to get into the minutia or into the weeds of, you know, what the curriculum is and what they're being taught. That's a completely right. different bag of apples here. Different podcast. <laughs> uh, but we can certainly talk about their safety being important. Now, we may not agree with what's being taught in schools. I don't. However, we can all agree that our children need to be protected. So I think that people tend to let the politics get in the way, and they don't remember the basic concept, the basic principle that everyone's children should be protected at all times. And that's not a political statement. That's not a, I'm a pro-gun person, and I'm pushing my views on you and forcing you to be a gun person. Uh, no, uh, the, the the concept of safety exists and must exist. We want safety for our children, no matter what method uh, that we accomplish it in. So, again, to get back what I was talking about earlier, there was always this kind of underlying thought process where people thought, well, wait a minute, we got all these unemployed military veterans, people have seen combat. Yeah, why not? Put them in schools to protect the children. Seems like a pretty good concept, right? Uh, I know some schools, you know, run the resource officer route and stuff like that. And even schools that have armed teachers may still have an armed resource officer. And usually, like, the resource officers will deal with things like fights and breaking up fights and dealing with minor disciplinary things, security, uh, you know, just a a pair of eyes roaming around and making sure things yeah. are cool. Well, we, That's, s- we uh, saw how they handled Miami. Well, okay. So I do want to give a quick shout out and it's actually, isn't going to be a quick shout out. This is going to be an involved shout out because it's really important. Uh, my friend, Ryan Petty. Now you guys know the shooting that occurred at uh, Stoneman Douglas yep, and uh, his daughter uh, was killed at Stoneman Douglas. Okay. In that situation. Uh, now, it would be very easy for a father who has lost a child to go, oh, my God, these terrible tools that allowed my daughter to perish should never be available to anyone, right? And in our mind, we always think, okay, if I can just remove the method or the tool that caused this this terrible thing to occur, whatever, it's easy to get trapped in the viewpoint that, well, if we just got rid of all the guns, my daughter would be alive. That's not true. All right, evil people are going to commit evil no matter what the tools. Uh, Ryan is actually a very pro-gun guy. He's actually a 2A advocate, and um, he has been directly involved in Florida's legislation by helping pass the uh, – and I have to look it up. I'm sorry, guys. It's Florida Senate Bill um, 7026, and this was only three weeks after his daughter was murdered. And uh, let's see. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act, okay? And what he has done is to work to get armed teachers in the schools so that these things can't happen again. Now, when he got put on this sort of a committee, so to speak, to, you know, work on this bill, and he's met with a governor several times, and, you know, or, yeah, the governor of, of, of Florida. Right. Um, when he initially got put on this task, 
they actually sat him and several other uh, people on the committee down in a room, and they made them watch footage from the high school, from from the, 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 the cameras. Man, that's rough. Luckily, his daughter was not in a room that had a camera. That would have been a very terribly tragic thing, but he did have to watch because they wanted that raw thing to be in their mind when they're coming up with these these concepts, right? So one of the teachers that was killed was a Marine Corps veteran with combat experience, and the man was unarmed, not only unable to protect himself, but unable to protect his students. And that struck a nerve with Ryan. And we are going to have Ryan on, not only on a podcast, we're going to have him on some gun gripes over on the channel on Iraq Veteran 8888. Some of you are listening in on the podcast. Some of you uh, are watching in video form, uh, but just know we post in both areas. But we are going to have Ryan on a video, and not only are we going to do some content with Ryan, we are also going to film a very, very special video down in Florida, but I'm not going to give the details up yet because I want it to be a surprise. It's a very cool piece of content, and it's going to have the support and, uh, and, and um, I guess we would call it cooperation there we go. of yep. many people uh, down in that area that are going to have some very tough conversations with us and have agreed to have some tough conversations with us in the vein of hopefully – bringing a, about a greater understanding as to why Ryan and other parents feel the way that they do about the Second Amendment and about having teachers be armed and able to protect their students. Now, without going too far down this rabbit hole, because I'm going to let Ryan speak for himself when we have him on the podcast at a later date, but I'll just paraphrase quickly. Uh, Florida does have armed teachers, okay? the state of Florida, and they actually have a very strict training regimen. The The teachers have to go through a really strict set of, of training. It's like three or four weeks worth of training. Mm-hmm. And the shooting test that they have to pass is harder than passing the Marine Corps pistol qualification. I it's believe harder. it. It is harder than the military and police pistol qualification. I believe it because you have you have yeah. so many other moving targets. They're in a trained hallway. by air marshals and yeah. all kind of cool stuff like this. So they receive the best training. I'll quickly just mention here. I'm not trying to hog up our airspace here, Matt. I just, no, I've just got some you, specific things I've got to get off. You definitely know what got off my head on. here. Uh, but it's it's worth noting, okay, in regards to the situation, that it is known, and it is a known fact, of course, that many teachers are upset about armed teachers. Because they don't want to be responsible for having a gun. Maybe they're just really, really opposed to firearms ownership. Maybe they don't want to buy a gun. Maybe they don't want to be responsible. So there's all these reasons that these teachers are coming up with as to, well, we don't need to have armed teachers. And I think there's a a common misconception that when a given municipality or city or given area or let's just say in the case of Florida, an entire state – uh, has this armed teacher program, a lot of teachers are kind of taken aback because they think that it's mandatory, that they have to do it, that they're required to do it. And whether there's some philosophical or religious or conscientious objector type of thing that might be uh, interjected in there as to why they don't want to have a gun, look, that's fine. Like Everyone has their own reasons for whether they do or do not want to be armed. But teachers have this misconception that it's mandatory and that, oh, if my state ends up adopting a similar type of legislation that Florida did, oh, that I'm going to be required to do this. And that is absolutely not true. It is 100% voluntary. It is not required. I think it would be healthy and good for these teachers to get a little bit of, of basic combat experience, even if all it is is like simple jujitsu or simple uh, martial arts and defensive techniques. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or maybe even if it's just a week-long first aid class would be great. Something passive, right? It doesn't have to be you know, necessarily combat-related. It can be related to a you know, combat lifesaver or you know, what would be a teacher version of a combat lifesaver mm-hmm. course or something. Because like it may not be gunfire. It might be a, an injury, right? Your kid might fall or something happens, right? People get injured, right? So I think it's important for teachers to have a good knowledge of medical uh, prowess as well. Absolutely. And I mean, as far as uh, when you say there's teachers that are opposed to it, 
that's fine. There's people that are opposed to carrying firearms or being around firearms that aren't teachers. That's a natural feeling for people that are unfamiliar with something. What I, I would like to say is that w- let's just say you're in a middle school or a high school. And here in Atlanta, some of these high schools are massive. They look like universities. I mean, they are huge. So you're talking hundreds of teachers. They have hundreds of teachers on staff. You can't tell me that out of a hundred teachers, there's not five or six that have the calling to be responsible enough to defend their student body. I know teachers. I've grown up with teachers. I have friends that are teachers. They consider those children as their own. So they will do whatever they need to do to protect them. Now, if you have, let's just say, a group of five or six teachers that are willing to step up and volunteer. So that's the key here. They are volunteering to, to take this responsibility. They take the training, you know, whether it's three, four, five weeks of training, it's excellent. Uh, they pass the proficiency test. Good for them. I think that, you know, if you don't have to be a decorated military veteran to have that calling to run towards gunfire. There's always people that say, you know, I'm the type of person that wants to help. When I hear gunfire, I run towards it. There are people and there are teachers out there that are willing to do that. So allow them the ability to protect their students because what you don't want is to have a massive school with no way to protect the children and then people just come in and run amok, which has basically been the issue that we're not protecting our most crucial commodity which is our children we have to make sure that we're putting that that we're protecting them when i drop my child off at school i want to know that they're protected they spend more time at school than they do at home they're at school eight hours a day from eight forty-five in the morning if they're really young all the way till six until you're getting off work to go pick them up if they're in middle school or high school they're home by 2 30 or 3 o'clock but they're still in school from 8.45 all the way to 3. You see them when you come home, three hours, and then rinse and repeat the next day. So those teachers spend more time with your kids than you do. I can I can see why they have such a drive to protect those children. You know, not to get too far on the philosophical bandwagon, but if we will, one could argue that the mind is a weapon that must be sharpened all right, must be made strong, right? So we trust these teachers with molding and crafting the minds of our kids, right? We trust them with that very precious commodity, which is their minds, but we don't trust them with their bodies. I mean, I find it almost uh, a little bit offensive to think that our kids don't deserve to be protected just as much as anyone else. So I think that it's it's clear and concise that we can say that – No one is going to disagree that our children deserve to be protected no matter where they are. I think the issue and where we get into a little bit of a complication is that a school is a very specific and exacting environment. Um, Emotions run high, you know, when especially like in middle school and high school, you know, kids are a very vulnerable age and they're at a a very unique emotional place. Uh, School is a very social environment. Social interaction is a very important part of how these children develop and grow and integrate into society ultimately, right? So uh, I don't think anyone would, would sit here and say that we want firearms to be this this crazy in-the-front thing. I mean, no one is saying that the kids are going to go into the classroom and there's going to be an AR-15 behind a, a glass wall and break in case of shooter type of thing, and they have to go in and see it every day. It's not no. Israel, you know. Well, <laughs> we're, we're going to get there. But it is important an important distinction that, you know, the, these guns stay locked up in a special locker and everything like that, I guess a safe, if you will. Uh, so it's not like, like they're not stored properly. It's not like a teacher just has a gun in the desk or whatever. So they are secured. Um, and so it shouldn't really be a problem. I don't think it's asking a lot of our society to go, hey, if these people, all right, that Marine Corps veteran that died that day, he would have ran to the danger. He would have engaged the danger, but he didn't have the tools necessary because of bureaucratic bullcrap and a bunch of pandering 
that is what has caused this problem. So we've allowed politics and these bureaucrats in Washington to get in the way of the results that we know we must accomplish through very specific means, right? Uh, and so the victim ends up being the kids ultimately, right? And society as a whole suffers because the bureaucrats let their politics and all of this anti-gun rhetoric stand in the way of results. Like, we know what we need to do. We're out at large in the world every day walking around protecting ourselves. So why do we create these gun-free zones? I disagree with gun-free zones. I think it's a terrible idea. If someone is hell-bent on carnage and, and terror, they're going to choose a soft target. Okay, And what better soft target than a place that has a no-gun sign on the door? Of course, of course, they're going to go, oh, well, there's no guns here. I'm just going to go do whatever I want because no one's going to stop me. And I, I think it's just so crazy that society has just, you know, allowed this situation to fester like a like a, a horrible wound. And and instead of actually applying the the what we know works, like Israel, right? mm-hmm. we can go we can get talk about Israel for a second. Now the Israelis don't play games when it comes to the safety of their students. They sure don't. They really don't. I mean, they haven't had a school shooting, I don't believe, ever. I mean, all the teachers carry rifles openly. They're not locked away. They are slung over their back, and they're giving math lessons on the board with a rifle slung over their back. Now, it does work a little bit different in Israel. I'm not Israeli, by the way. I'm just going off of what I've read and heard. You can serve your... uh, your two years of military service at the same time as serving, like being a teacher, you're kind of, Public yeah, you're kind of doing both, but you are on call and due to the nature of where they are landmass wise and what's surrounding them, you're on call 24 seven. So yeah. it's very common. You'll be walking through a market and you see civilians in regular jeans and shirts, but they have their rifles because that compulsory service requires them to have it on them at all times, but they're still civilians. They're just, you know, have to have their stuff with them. Wow. So I'm not saying that we should take it to that extreme in the U S um, because that would cause a lot of people to be kind of turned off on it. But if we talk through it, what what would that look like as far as, um, you know, how we handle that situation? Do we have uh, we have our teachers that have vol- that volunteered to be, you know, armed and nobody knows. It's kind of like the whole air marshal thing. Only the other teachers know. Only the administration know. The kids don't know. So there's no way that they're going to know who has the guns and who doesn't Mm -hmm. they're locked in a safe space like in the classroom and then you say well hey matt if if they're not carrying it on them what good is that well in a school environment they can close the door they have those little uh mechanisms that allow you to kind of lock that door from the inside so people can't get in yeah once you hear that night locks yes like you know when you go if you if you travel a lot and you stay in hotels you usually carry one with you you put it and you wedge it and between the doors so people can't get in your hotel room. They have those in schools. Now, is that enough? No, because you, eventually you're not going to let the person run through the school, but it does yeah. give you enough time to set up, get your stuff out of the safe, for that t- if that teacher's armed, to arm themselves. And then, you know, if somebody tries to come in and they successfully get in, they'll be met with uh, judicious force. Oh, yes, uh, as of they, course. As they come through that doorway. So it's worth noting, and this is not like an endorsement or anything like that. I just uh, wanted to just mention this. Um, we actually are going to be getting some of these in to do a video on over on Iraq Veteran. Look at uh, that. 88, 88. They make throwable armor. Uh, so they're like these panels that unfold, and some of them are, oddly enough, about the size of a door. Okay. Nice. And um, it's uh, like level three and level three A throwable armor. They're like armor blankets and mm-hmm. they fold up. So it wouldn't be a big deal to have one of those armor blankets, you know, and if something goes awry or let's just say there's an announcement comes over the intercom. Hey, uh, we think there's an active shooter. Something's going mm-hmm. on him up. Right. Yeah. Whatever their code were to be, you know, this the teachers will know. OK, close the door. I think the protocol generally at most schools is to close the door, lock it, 
and then cover the window so no one can see mm-hmm. in. But how cool would it be to have some hooks on the door? And if you've ever been in a school, obviously we've all been in schools, yes. but the doors are huge and, and gnarly and heavy, you know. Mm-hmm. They're government buildings. So and they of course, usually have a little thing of glass in them yeah, so you can see through it. Yeah, the doors are super, super, super heavy duty. Okay. Close the door. Have a couple of hooks on the door. Take your foldable armor. Boop. Pop it over the door. Mm-hmm. Hem up the door with a night lock. Ain't nobody getting in that room. That's right. And even if they do want to try to shoot through the door, you got level three protection on the door. So there are passive ways to protect yourself that don't involve a gun. And it's important to acknowledge that. Some people might want to own body armor. There's so much um, stuff out there with like armored backpacks and stuff. There's kids going to college, uh, going to high school even, that are carrying armored backpacks. And um, we've talked about in several other videos uh, over on, on YouTube it's not a big deal to have passive ways to protect yourself. And uh, I think that people tend to get in the weeds a little bit too much and they go, well, what are you worried about? Why would you need to have a backpack with armor and a blowout kit? And and let's just say in the civilian world, walking around at large, you know, maybe have your handgun or, you know, some other accessories or food or water that you keep on your person. Because you just never know what's going to happen. You know, you can't necessarily be in control of every situation at all times, but you can react to a situation. So there are plenty of students that carry armor panels in their backpacks Mm -hmm. just as a redundancy. You just never know. And um, that can come in a lot of different forms. I think that to answer your question about, like, say, Israel versus us, uh, now Israel is a a very different culture. Like, it's a different group of people over there. They're kind of playing with a different set of cards over there. So what works for Israel might not work for us, right? And and that's that's okay to acknowledge that and understand that. The United States, we have a culture of gun owners. So many of us in normal walks of life that you may not ever would think in a million years own a gun, guess what? They own guns. Just some people are a little bit more forward about it than others. I mean, obviously, you see me. I'm out in the public space. I'm not shy about the fact that I'm a gun owner. But some people, I I actually know a few people that own maybe not as many guns as I do, but but they own quite a few guns, and they're not vocal about it. They don't make mm-hmm. a big deal about it. They don't talk about it. They don't necessarily donate to gun organizations. They don't really get involved politically or anything like that. They don't call their reps. They don't get involved in the in the where wise of of gun control and things like that that are going on legislation wise. They just own what they own and they live their lives and they just do their thing and that's how they live. And it's okay. You you don't necessarily have to be super uber involved. Uh, in your individual communities, if you don't want to be, and that's okay. We all have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We can pursue our dreams in the yep. way that we see fit, and we can take whatever path we want to choose, as long as we don't hurt other people. That's okay. But it's just important to acknowledge that America has a culture of gun ownership, and in knowing that, I think that where our country has done a considerable discredit to our, our our society as a whole, I believe, has been in the form of removing education about guns from the public uh, yes. schools in yes. that environment, right? So, like, when my wife was coming up, actually, today is our 10-year anniversary. So Happy anniversary, Eric. We're taking a trip this weekend. Uh, but anyway, so my wife, you know, when she was coming up through school, they had an air rifle team. Uh, they didn't have 22s, but they did have air rifles. Okay, so they had their air gun teams and stuff like that. And I, you know, remember plenty of situations uh, coming up in school, especially like my grandpa and his generation and my dad. Well, I guess my dad, too. You know, my dad's generation and especially my grandpa's generation. It was just a known thing that going through school. Yeah. At some point you are going to receive some type of instruction of at least safety regarding guns and it was completely normal back then and usually what it was it was either like one of the coaches mm-hmm. would bring a gun to school and, sh- and and do a little show and tell and a little safety class or they'd have a local cop come in or the sheriff even would come in and bring a, a few guns and at least go hey this is dangerous here's why look this is a pump action this is a bolt action and go over a few action types if you look at something like a hunting um License. All right. He's a really good mm-hmm. example. When you go to get a hunting license, you actually you have to take 
uh, a hunter safety course. And part of that hunter safety course, you have to answer a bunch of questions and pass a test in order to pass the, the safety course. And part of that safety course is like, all right, here's this. What is this action? And they'll show like a picture of a gun. What is that? Is that a bolt action, a semi, a pump yep. action? And they'll they'll grill you a little bit on what type of action types. A simple little thing like that that might not seem like a big deal. But what it accomplishes in our society is it removes the morbid fear of guns because education will always remove fear of something, right? I can be sitting on the sidelines somewhere, and I can watch a Formula One race car go room and, 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 and run by at, at a butt-naked speeds, and I can go, holy crap, that car right there, that thing is fast, and that steering looks real sensitive, and man, I don't know what kind of techniques that guy's got to employ to drive that thing safely and not kill himself. But you know what? I wouldn't want to be behind the, the wheel of that vehicle without some training. It's okay to go, hey, that's dangerous, and we should acknowledge that, you know what I mean? You, you might want to have a little bit of, a, of an idea of what you're dealing with. But let's say that I went to watch Formula One, and I went over and asked somebody, well, well hey, like, what's the deal with that car? And that's crazy. Look how fast that thing is. And what if they said... Oh, well, no same person wants to drive that car. You shouldn't. Why, why do you want to know about that? Right. Why do you care to know about that car? You're not going to drive it. You got to be a race car driver to drive that car. So, what if you were just kept out of the conversation because the teachers and the, the public uh, education system at large just simply uh, denied you the ability to obtain the information that you legitimately want to know? If you had some morbid fear of firearms, the public schools should have programs in place that help teach gun safety and help remove the morbid fear of firearms from kids because that's where they do dumb things or they have accidents, right? Accidents happen, but accidents occur because people don't receive the proper safety briefs and training that they need at least to understand, hey, be careful, watch this. You know, hey, you see something weird, go get an adult and ask, right? Just those simple things that we can just drill into our kids to make them understand gun safety. I think that gun safety is an important aspect, you know, in bringing that back into schools and bringing shooting programs back into schools. It's a dual-pronged uh, importance that also leans into arming teachers, too. Th those two things are, are, are two points that come together mm -hmm. at some point. I'm so glad you brought that up as far as education-wise, um, because both st the student body, that familiarization with it definitely helps ease that. But more importantly... If we can get more of the administration from the schools educated, they'll be more likely to be more involved and be less hesitant. And I'm going to go back to the the, the school in in Florida because that principal gets it. the The combat veterans that patrol that school they carry both a handgun and a long gun. They carry both. And when they interviewed the principal. He gets it. He's a shooter or he's familiar with the with the scenarios. He says, well, on a hallway, it's usually a 50 or even a longer sh yard shot. It's easier with their long gun. So why would I not give these guys long guns? Mm -hmm. Because it's a much easier shot with the, with the long gun, more stable platform, more accurate at that range. Yes, you could hit a, somebody with a handgun, but why make it hard? Like just make it easy and getting those kids comfortable with it. They're wearing them They're They have it slung. Now they are using, <laughs> they are carrying Caltech bull pups, which is an interesting choice in rifle, but it is, I hate to say it probably by design. It doesn't look as scary. Um, it, it's not an AR style rifle. So I believe he probably made some compromises there looks wise. Cause it is like a, a middle school or a high school and they want it to be a little bit more blended in. Mm -hmm. um, so I get it. I mean, do I agree with that particular reasoning? Why? No, but I mean, there might've been some concessions there. Well, I think another way to kind of look at it too, is if someone was going to do harm to your children while they're at school, would you want the defenders of your school to have the same gun or maybe a better gun than what the guy might bring in to cause harm to your kids? I mean, in my mind, it's like you're always going to meet force with equal or greater mm -hmm. force. So I'm not going to take a handgun to a, a potential rifle or shotgun fight. Oh, man, you'll get lit up. Period. Yeah. Right. So I think that it's important to understand that, 
you know, while arming teachers is a tiny little microcosm of the total security plan of a school, okay, and while that's important and we should foster an environment where uh, teachers have the resources available to them and the funding available to them to be armed if they wish to be, uh, I think it's also important to recognize that the holistic approach of securing an environment, be it a school, large building, doesn't matter what the building is. There is a protocol for securing a building and dealing with a situation. And when we look at the way that um, a lot of these law enforcement officers have responded to school shootings, they clearly lack uh, training, they clearly lack motivation, and they clearly lack the confidence that those things bring you in dealing with a terrible situation. Confidence is a big one. If you don't have the confidence because you haven't received the training or you don't have the mindset that that lends itself to understanding what you're about to do, you can see why people f- would freeze up and not know what to do because yep. they never even thought about what they were going to do. It would be like saying, well, I bought these bathing suits. I've never swam before. But I guess when I have to swim, I can just jump in the water and swim, right? And it'd be the equivalent of going, well, put on my bathing suit. And I wasn't expecting to jump in the water, but I got pushed in the water and now I can't swim because I never thought about, well, gosh, I've got these great bathing suits, but I can't swim now. Whatever. It might be a terrible analogy, but it gets the point across. It gets the point across. But that's the thing. You know, we're providing the tools. And we're providing, you know, a safe environment for those tools to exist. And then, of course, the teachers to have access to those tools. But then all of that also comes with tactics, a plan, Um, just like in your home, right? Like John Lovell and I have talked about um, having a little mini battle plan inside Mm -hmm. your home for defending your house, right? That's right. There's a process, right? You don't just grab a gun and go looking for crazy stuff, you know, looking for trouble immediately. There's a little bit of 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 a... of a measured process, right? All right, where are my kids? Are they safe? All right, where are we going to meet? If something bad happens, where do we go? What do we do? Who do we call? Who goes where? It's like setting a stage and everyone has a place, right? Like in the movies, I got an X on the ground when you got to walk and talk and land in a spot, right? It's the same type of thing. There's a plan for everything. And then where there's a plan, there is the idea for that plan to be flexible and like, oh, crap, we didn't factor in Murphy's Law. All right, now we have to shift and let's let's think fluidly and let's react to this situation and make sure we can survive this situation. So a good example of just training and planning and execution is on uh, 9-11, when the Twin Towers were hit, there was one company and i mean i'm gonna i really wish i i I would have pulled this up but and i didn't think about it till you just said that there was a company that had a former military uh, security guard and he took it upon himself to make sure to rehearse with his company that was on like the 50th floor they would rehearse regularly emergency drills to get out of the building and because that he was prepared and he made he did regular rehearsals with that company on that floor, the majority of that company made it out. He didn't wait. Um, they announced they were like, "Hey, everybody, just shelter in place, stay in place." And he took. He was like, "Nah, man, we're getting out." He yeah. he he told everybody to execute. They all left. Uh, he unfortunately didn't make it because he was the last man. He wanted to make sure everybody got out, but. The fact that there was a plan in place, he practiced it, and he made the right decisions. Um, saved yeah, countless saved lives. countless lives because a lot of other companies followed suit. They were like, well, "Hey, man, if these guys are getting out of here, we're getting out of here too." So, yeah, yeah that proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. Got that uh, as, right, as they say. Um, yeah. But school wise, it's imperative that if they're going to have armed teachers i i'll I'll say i am for armed teachers i believe that you know it's it's crucial and i if there was any legislation in georgia that came up with that i would be the first one to sign it because there is no love that you have that's more powerful than what you have for your children i mean you don't realize that but i mean you're releasing and you're you're releasing that responsibility to the school to allow them to to take care of your children. And you want to make dang sure 
that they have the means to do it. And I mean, handgun, rifle, training, make sure that they are um, training, not not just here's here's a gun, you passed your little target test and pull it out whenever you need it. They need to have re- reoccurring training, whether it's a monthly uh, range qualification, maybe they get access to the police range. And because they're still in that governmental system, whether it's like, because a lot of schools fall under the county. So yeah. whether it's, you know, Fulton County, yeah, maybe a county, basic ammo budget or something yeah, that they can give them. I to mean, practice. maybe as, maybe as parents to that school, we can donate the ammo. That wouldn't mm-hmm. that speak volumes. If as a, as a PTA, the parent teacher association, whatever said, Hey, this bake sale is going to be for ammunition for range time. Let's do a car wash or a bake sale for that. I mean, that is kind of what we need to go for because the government or the school system isn't going to do it. It's going to have to be the parents initiating that and saying, yes, please do this. Because honestly, if you told me, hey, these parents, uh, these teachers are armed, but they don't really train, then no. Why would I want that around my kid? I want them to be proficient because as they say, the saying is there's only one thing worse than a bad poker player. And that's a bad poker player that thinks that they're good. So there, so if you put that analogy into firearms and you think that you are better, which is most common than you actually are, it would be very bad. Well, I don't want to dive too far into the weeds on charter schools, but I think charter schools are a great idea, and I think that many communities should push uh, for having charter schools available for their children. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what a charter school is, a charter school is essentially – it's just like any other school in terms of the curriculum and, and the overall process, but in a charter school – the control of the curriculum and the overall um, decision-making process of, of what goes basically into their into their uh, their kids' minds and not mm-hmm. only their environment that they're being taught in, all the way down to who gets hired for teachers and yep. all, all of that is controlled by a private board of civilians or parents, trustees whatever, and stuff like that, that come together and they have trustees and things like that. Now there can be some Karenism involved in in charter schools because there there begins to quickly be this disillusion of a power struggle that happens just like it does in a parent teacher association, but it's a little bit different. So instead of having this government bureaucracy determining, you know, and using all of these political plays to try to, I don't know, whatever they do, they're crazy, right? You know, I mean, look at the situation on coronavirus and all the the teachers are like, well, we don't want to go back to school. Well, of course you don't because you're sitting at home getting a paycheck. You're still getting paid. and to not teach now, granted, there's distance learning and there's you know many distance programs that have been developed. And to their credit, they've tried to navigate that situation as best they can. However, a charter school changes the game considerably mm-hmm. because it puts the power into the uh, teacher body, uh, the teacher parental body and the trustees, which is generally considered to be a much more trustworthy and reliable education system than a public education system that uses this crazy board of education and all this government bureaucracy. You can also And a fix charter it, school might be a better way to actually get carry uh, mm-hmm. teacher carrying uh, in schools in terms of them having guns because that thought process is kind of administered and thought of more involving more of a of a board of people that are, have much better investment personally in in the success of that school right and the the way charter schools operate you can you can pivot and make u turns rather quickly because it's not such a bureaucratic system they have well to, it is <laughs> but it's not, different it is a, it's a different animal so it's not the same it's not the same leg of the animal it's a different animal but it's still an animal it kind of removes the politics that's what i'm getting at decision making so charter schools have to retain a certain amount of students to keep their accreditation so what does that mean that means essentially you as a parent and having students attend this school have the power. If you have enough parents band together and say, well, we're just going to uh, take our children out of your school, they no longer qualify for funding. 
though they have to meet a certain requirement of student population to remain open. Yeah. So the power is truly with the parents. They can say, if enough parents say, we're pulling our kids out, that school is cooked. They're done. They're not going to be able to continue to operate. So that means that they can get together, they can make a plan. And while it is still difficult to herd that amount of cats to get them to do the same thing, it does incentivize the school to listen to grievances when they come up. Oh, and, yeah. You're dang right. Because yeah. it could affect their bottom line. They may exactly. have a job. Yep. Um, you know, I will quickly touch on homeschooling a little bit. Uh, in light of, of things that have happened over the last couple of years, many people have been looking at homeschooling as as a discernible option for uh, you know the the future of their children's uh, education, and I think that's a healthy thing. Um, homeschooling. I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but uh, obviously, it's safe to say that when the child's at home and you are a gun owner, then obviously they're going to be protected with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not much of a security issue. But one thing I have noticed. There have been a few situations where uh, teachers, uh, like maybe they do homeschool, but then they do uh, like maybe once a week or whatever, they might have like a classroom session where they bring some of the other kids in together because, you know, you still want to have that, um, you know, that interaction between kids. It's it's still a social environment. You're not just having this situation where, especially if it's a single, single kid and it's just one child at home. And you've got this one kid, he's he's learning, sure, but he's not getting that interaction that he needs to kind of integ- integrate into a societal and social situation, if you will. Very important. So they will have times where they'll get the kids together and, and they can kind of chat and meet and maybe they'll do a little class together or something like that, just so they can still get that human interaction that they desperately need at that age. Uh, but there have been situations in homeschool environments where let's say the kid had a Nerf gun in the background, or maybe even a BB gun or a paintball gun, or in some cases, even a real firearm happened to be in the background or something. And I've I've seen situations where, of course, a big stink gets raised about it. And then the, these social justice warriors or these woke teachers or these liberal left-leaning anti-gun advocate slash teacher people, whatever you want to call them, you know, they go, oh, well, we want this person expelled and we want all of this disciplinary action to take place just because, you know, Junior saw something in the background. Or let's say that someone is a known gun family that happens to be very pro-gun, and there's a social media post that comes about. Let's say a gun in the background or something like that, or maybe they took a photo of a gun or they're Mm -hmm. holding one. There's even a situation where a young man got suspended from school for biting a Pop-Tart into the shape of a pistol. (laughs) Kids do stuff like that. Like it's, it's harmless, right? Or situations where children are sent home from school for wearing a shirt that has something that the school deems to be offensive, like a gun on it or anything that would be pro freedom. Even a, image of George Washington and by some standards would be considered uh, somehow offensive, right? So mm. charter schools do eliminate that bullcrap. So they can determine dress code. They can determine all these factors. And then with homeschooling, of course, you're interjecting more of your personal family values and principles into the educational environment of your kids. So there's a lot of different ways, whether it's charter schools whether it's homeschooling, um, but just know that they all do come with their their forms of challenges that you have to overcome, both the security aspect of keeping your kids safe and the 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 I guess we would call it the the quasi political realm that exists that that controls how that happens, right? How fast that ship turns, what direction it turns, whether it turns at all, whether it the guy in the engineering room is even listening in the boat, right? right. So there are many different uh, levels that things can get accomplished in a school environment. And, of course, the politics uh, drastically uh, go in some very different directions depending on what type of school your kid's going to be involved with. Yeah. You also have the, the, I guess, one of the final options is private school. I mean, if you have the means to do it, they're not uh, inexpensive by by any means. I mean, you'll see them range anywhere, at least here in Atlanta, the top top end, uh, anywhere between, I would say, 30000 a year to 50000 a year to send your kid to school. And that's like, you know, elementary through high school. High school tends to be a little bit more. Um, but they honestly tend, because you're paying into it, 
they have a little bit better security. I mean, they have, oh, yeah. they have like security teams and I'm not saying like a SWAT team or anything like that, but they are definitely, They're armed. they are, they are more, uh, in tune with what's going on. They have radios, they have communication. I've yeah. seen it. Cause I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it, private it, schools will generally have a stricter dress code yes. that sort of thing. I, I have my, my varying opinions about how I feel about dress codes. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with the uniforms because I think it, it, it makes people, I don't know, a little bit too closed in. They don't allow themselves to express individuality and to kind of find who they are and, and establish mm-hmm. an identity. Uh, I'm not sure uniforms are a great idea for that concept. I think kids mm-hmm. should be free to express themselves as long as they're you know, being safe and not hurting anybody. They right. ought to be able to do what they want. And then you have the freedom of choice with that, though. So let's say you you know, you know, put your kid or your kid chooses to go to this private school and they have uniforms and they say, you know what, uh, Dad, I don't, I don't want to wear the uniform. I don't want to go to this school. Then you would just change schools. I mean, yeah. you have that freedom to do that versus you trying to change the school dress code around your, your child. Um, yeah. But I mean – just to, to to close it in, I am for armed teachers. I oh, yeah. I would love to see it across the board. I I really hope that they do start some legislation in Georgia. I know there was some inkling of it uh, early on when a lot of stuff was going on. They did kind of entertain that. Um, unfortunately, Georgia is uh, more on the blue side right now, and that's not. I don't I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. Well, one thing that I would like to just sort of mention is that. I agree. I am very much, of course, obviously, if it's not obvious at this point, I am for armed teachers. I think it's a great concept. I don't think that teachers should be required. It shouldn't be a compulsory or mandatory type of thing that they have to do, because I don't agree with putting anybody in a situation where they don't want to have a gun and they're forced to do it. Now, look, if it's zombie apocalypse, walking dead style, and it's (laughs) like, hey, the zombies are going to eat you or you got to pick up this gun and, and shoot the zombies. Well, that is what it is. But in the real world, uh, I don't believe in somebody being forced to have a gun if they don't want to have a gun, because that almost creates, in some cases, maybe a little bit more dangerous environment. Because it for sure does. Now, if someone doesn't appreciate or respect the tool and they're like, well, I've got this gun, you know, I've mm-hmm. got to do something with it, or whatever, I'm required to do it. They're not going to respect that tool. They're going to misuse that tool. So if someone doesn't want to be an armed teacher, I don't think they should have to do it. But I think that where we meet in the middle is that they should have an open mind enough to understand that there are teachers that want to protect their students and that they should have the tools and the the training and the ability and the funds uh, and the the time scheduled for them to be able to get the training that they need to take care of their kids. And I don't think that uh, anybody can disagree uh, with the concept that our kids deserve to be protected and we should cherish uh, their lives as being as important as they are. I mean, that that's our future. Those kids are our future. And we're, we, are, we are molding their minds, and we should be able to protect their bodies. Absolutely. I, think that, I don't think that's asking a lot. So if someone is anti-gun and they're a teacher, and believe me, there's a lot of them, that's why you've seen so much pushback uh, for armed teachers in schools, because there are so many anti-gun teachers it seems like the education environment and being anti-gun and liberal slash left-leaning, whatever you call it, it just seems like those things go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but it's like when you look up those mug shots of like Antifa people <laughs> and you see, you know, they all look like they look or whatever. It is what it is, right? I'm just Purple stating hair, the facts here. red hair. Whatever. Purple hair, hair, red hair. hair. Shave, no shirts. Yeah. But then you look up their professions, and like 60% of them are teachers that are getting arrested and stuff. So it's like, which is weird. Lawyers, like some of them are lawyers. I'm like, what is this? And look, I'm not going to dive into the weeds about politics. I'm just going to say that teachers, traditionally, at least in this day and age, they just seem to come with the baggage that they're, oh, you can always presume and assume or whatever that they are anti gun. I think they need to put their egos aside and they need to put their personal feelings aside and look at the big picture and look at the safety of their students as being paramount and more important than their personal biases against gun owners 
It, they may not like gun owners. They might not like the concept of firearms ownership. They may not agree with civilians owning guns. But guess what? It ain't going to stop anything. You've got to have a good guy or girl or whoever with a gun to stop a bad guy or girl or whoever with a gun. That's right. And I was kind of so I was kind of laughing over here when you said the the only thing worse is, is more dangerous to have someone that's untrained with a gun. Yeah. And it brought it instantly brought me back uh, when we were in Iraq. Uh, we're not uh, as as drivers or gunners. We are not uh, issued M uh, Berettas. So as a gunner. You want when you're doing a warning shot, you have to use your most least casualty producing weapon. Well, that day it was a Beretta. <laughs> so I am not and I, this took a little bit of humility because I never qualified with a with a Beretta. I had never shot one. I had no reason to. I was a I was a heavy gunner and an M4 and an M203. So that day we were running through an intersection and there was a car that kind of popped out and I was like, oh, OK. And I went, I took aim with that Beretta and untrained Matt squeezed the trigger and the loudest sound in the world click is when that hammer falls and nothing happens. (laughs) And that's what that reminded me of. I was like, there's nothing more dangerous than an untrained person with a gun. Well, the thing is, though, it's not that you're afraid of it and didn't respect it. You just had a a, a, a momentary lapse (laughs) of of mental... Dexterity, let's and, just say and, and physical I, and mental dexterity. Yeah. And then I turn, I look at it, and I'm like, "Oh, the you safety!" Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, the safety, <laughs> the safety's still on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was the loudest time. I just, I just put it down, and I engaged with the main gun. What is well, yeah. that? <laughs> so I think that we really um, brought this one home in terms of uh, this concept. I, th- I think we've we've wrapped up a great podcast here this week. And yeah, uh, really I hope was. everybody comes away from this podcast with hopefully maybe a little bit more open heart and mind to understand where we're coming from. And believe me, like I try not to necessarily engage in extreme political bias on any one side of the coin, right? I try my best. I really do. I try to understand where everybody's coming from. I really do try. Of course, we all have our thoughts and feelings and our mm-hmm. own, you know, personal views towards things. And of course, I'm always going to interject that because that's what human beings do. We, we we are who we are and we inject our personality into our thought process. But I do try to understand both sides of the coin. And I hope you'll come away from this podcast slash video if you're watching here on YouTube uh, with maybe a fresh perspective and uh, a newfound respect for the concept of arming teachers. So have a great week. Have those conversations with people. I think it's very important for us to have an open and honest and forthcoming uh, view of having these conversations. You should have uncomfortable conversations with people you disagree with. It's okay. It's healthy to air it out because you might find there's a novel concept. You might find that your opinion changes uh, by having, uh, you know, someone talk to you that maybe you don't agree with. Uh, Be open-minded to have your mind changed. If someone challenges your perspective and you come away from it and you're like, all right, I can't get with this. I don't understand this. That's okay. But at least listen. That's the important thing. Our society has lost the ability and lost the will to listen to each other and to air things out in an open environment, to have those times where, you know what, we can come to the table and we can have discussions and it doesn't matter. Like We're going to talk about whatever the heck we want. And your feelings aren't going to get hurt. My feelings aren't going to get hurt. We're going to see where the heck we can find common ground here. If you try to find those slivers of common ground, you'll find that we actually share a lot more in common collectively than we probably want to let ourselves believe. Absolutely. And that's what it comes down to is just learning the art of conversation. It's, it's, yeah. it's a long lost art and it's becoming even more lost with the everybody wanting to shout you down, not even letting you finish a complete sentence because you might actually be talking about the same thing, but you're not letting that person finish. Yeah. They're trying to, they're trying to complete that circle, that, that thought, and you're not allowing it to happen um, or just holding grudges, you know, just saying, yeah. oh, I, I didn't agree with you on this. So I, I don't even care what you have to say. I'm just not going dis- to, I'm not going to agree with anything else you have to say. You're cut off. Or in the case of social media censorship and all of this bias that you clearly see from the big social media companies, Mm -hmm. we're not going to dive in the weeds on that. But 
what you see with them is just a complete cancellation altogether. It's like, well, you said a few things that I strongly disagree with, so we're just going to ban you, or we're going to shadow ban mm-hmm. you, or we're going to censor you. So when you remove people from the conversation, you deny them the ability to have an honest conversation. You really deny them like what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. Like When you deny our human instincts and our human needs to interact with each other and be social, it creates a very, very disturbing environment that I strongly disagree with. But that's another conversation for another time. Have a great week, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in on this particular podcast. Uh, we post every Friday over on all of the various uh, podcast-serving elements out there. There's a bunch of them. Yep. Uh, and also, the video form of this podcast drops on YouTube every Saturday. So Saturdays are LLP Day over on Iraq Veteran 8888. Check it out if you wish. Please leave us a great rating. It helps us show up better in the search results and things like that. Hit that like button. Oh, yes. And make sure if you're on YouTube that you subscribe, hit the subscription button and click that notification bell so you make sure you get all of our videos. Please give us a thumbs up. Go in that comment section and leave us a nice comment. (laughs) Let us know what you think. And we'll have a conversation. We'll revisit this later. But have a great week, and we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.